You are listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 16, we discuss the art of cropping. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wildlife Photography Podcast uh, with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Hey, good, Rob. Good, Rob. Great to be here again. It's been a little while, so I'm glad we're back. And uh, yeah, interesting we topic, were, too. This is pretty Yeah, cool. we were talking, weren't we? I mean, it's been over a month since we've spoken. Good one yeah. thing and another going on, I mean, not least of which was me getting married. So um, <laughs> <laughs> It's an important event, yes. <laughs> exactly. So I, I did take a little bit of time off for that. So it's, it's, it's been a bit difficult to sort of cram everything in, which is, which is why it's been a little while in between episodes. So apologies to everybody for that. Um, but here we are. We're 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 back in the back in the driving seat again, and uh, ready to well talk about another subject. And today we're going to be talking about uh, talking about cropping and how that has an effect on on your images and uh, and the various ways that that we can use cropping um, to improve our photography. So before we get going on that, though, I just thought we'd, we'd catch up and, uh, and and see what's been going on. So so what's been happening in the in the world of Josh these last few weeks? <laughs> you know, it's been pretty busy. You know, one thing that did happen recently, and it was a lot of fun. So I live in a small community. It's, it's a, a village, basically, maybe 140 people called Claiborne. And I'm just outside of St. Michael's on the eastern shore. And it's a great little community. We have a community center. It was an old Methodist church that was um, basically changed over into a little small amphitheater and the like. So the uh, the town council, they asked me to have or asked me to show up and do a presentation on my photography because they see me around with my cameras and they're like, what's that crazy guy doing out there in a, in a blind floating around and doing all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I've got so I gave a presentation yeah. and I focused on all the images I've been taking close to home in the backyard and in and around town in the Eastern shore. And it was really nice. We had about maybe 60 people there and I was, you know, showing them the camera gear that I used and walked them through all the different images and, you know, it, it just reinforced my theory because I, I did show some stuff when I travel around, you know, Africa, Alaska, some stuff even from Shetland. We actually have some residents from Scotland, believe it or not. So they really appreciated that, but originally from Scotland. And, you know, it just goes to show that when I was going through those images, everybody really liked the local stuff. And again, I think a lot of the best photographies, it's close to home. You know, you can find beauty everywhere. You know, I kind of walked away with that, but uh, it was fun. It was good to have a walk them through. And it's always nice to see people's eyes light up when they don't even know certain things are around. They're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea this is in my backyard or I've never seen that before, you know? So um, at minimum, that even spreads the word a little bit, you know, in terms of awareness. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's incredibly powerful. I mean, I did a similar thing a few years ago uh, in the village that I live in, you know, so it sounds very similar, you know, to where you are. It's a very tight knit community. Um, and we've got a, um, as people will know, because we've, we've talked about it before, but, um, we've got a, a woodland literally just outside the back gate, hundred yards up a hill and I can be in, the, in the woods. And, uh, I did a presentation on, you know, the wildlife, but particularly the birds actually, um, in that area of woodland and, and what people could actually see on their own doorsteps. And they were amazed. I mean, I even had. I even had people that used to do surveys for the British Trust for Ornithology, and I was telling them what was in the wood, and they never even realised. Wow! 
<laughs> showing pictures of well in particular firecrest mm-hmm. um and and, I was, and they were saying oh we didn't never realize that was there and i said well what are you what are you saying i could hear them all the time when i'm walking around there singing away um, wow. but because they make a quite well quite them and Goldcrest, they're very very similar um but so you can tell them apart but yeah so no that it's an incredibly powerful thing to do local local stuff I, like that i totally agree a matter of fact in the yard i just had very similar to the firecrest what do we have golden crown and ruby crown golden, yeah king yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, they they come in these huge migration batches and i've i've got hundreds in the yard just flying around and uh they're just absolutely stunning birds the firecrest too i mean they're amazing yeah, no, the colours are incredible. And if you're in the UK, having a colourful bird is quite an unusual <laughs> thing. Most of them are pretty drab, I have to say. <laughs> it's not like you guys, all those warblers and everything. And you just think, yeah, you, we are you, lucky. You are very lucky, you know, yeah. with, with the with the bird life that you have over there. You know, so varied as well. It's, yeah, uh, definitely. And the waterfowl are actually very colourful to a certain extent. You know, in some ways, in uh, like we just had, I was just photographing some black ducks. I don't know if folks have ever studied a black duck up close but they are stunning the purples and some of the detail in the feather it's be- beautiful yeah it's a, it's amazing isn't it i mean that's one thing that photography really unlocks for you at times and and actually we can come on and talk about that when we talk about cropping and the various uses of of cropping but you know when you take a picture of something like a, a you know a starling for example which i know you're not keen on <laughs> for obvious reasons uh but you know the when you, when you look at it from a distance you know you think it's pretty bland but you get it in the right light and up close and you yeah. see all those amazing color details you know yeah. in, in that bird you know and the sort of oily appearance of its plumage it's it's just stunning you know yeah, the real are. iridescence of it uh you know in the right light you know and photography unlo- unlocks all these things uh, you know it's what it's yeah, one Star- of the things i really love beautiful. about it although it's very yeah. hard i think to have that same opinion on the house sparrow i'd have to say on my on my most wanted list the house sparrows are probably number one i'll put the starlings at number three maybe yeah and the thing is about the house sparrow that you know i, I kind of get it and um yeah they're, they're not the most colorful of birds i mean i love them because I, I i think the thing about the house sparrow for me is obviously because it's you know endemic here yeah. uh is is the sound they make you know in the in during the summer you know, when you've got a flock of house sparrows and you hear that noise, it always takes me back to warm summer evenings when I when I hear mm. them sort of chirping away because we, ha- we have quite a good population of, of them here in the village. I don't get them in the garden that often, but, you know, I walk 100 yards down the road and the hedgerows are full of them, mm. um, you know, and I can hear them, you know, chirping away in the summer, which is, you know, kind of takes me back to times that I've spent in, you know, on the Spanish islands, Mallorca and places like that, you know, when you, yeah. when you get them. Uh, you know, get get good good sort of concentrations of them in those sort of warm summer days. So it takes takes me yeah. back to those, yeah, to the, to those lovely lovely summer evenings with a gin and tonic and a in hand. And <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you know, you're right. They don't have a song, right? It's just a, it's it's a call or a chirp, right? I, I don't, yeah, it's a chirp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and when you get a group of them, you know, they're all sort of chirping away. It's just yeah, I, I find it. It's one of those really calming noises i think you know i I probably have a you know i probably have that on a recording just to calm me down oh this will make you laugh although although it's interesting when i hear that noise it's like i get ptsd because i'm looking at the bluebird house did they occupy (laughs) these bastards i need to get rid of them (laughs) it's it's amazing the uh i'll I'll tell you a quick story this will make you laugh actually we've got a um 
because the, well this time of the year when the nights are drawing in and i get a you know i i struggle with the dark hours i have to say particularly in the morning so Je jennifer and i bought this uh, alarm clock which uh has got like this sort of um sunlight type glow light on top of it and you can set it so it it gradually increases in its intensity in the morning so it's almost like the rising sun and you can change the color temperature in this that and the other and you can pair that with uh, a bird song of your choice so they've got all these recordings and uh, and we have it set on on or have done since we've had it on blackbird because it's just a, it's just a really nice song it's not really nice and fluty and yeah it's, it's it's one of the most pleasant songs bird song i think uh, around there and it's kind of synonymous with with dawn it's part of part of the dawn chorus anyway i've been <laughs> when i've been walking the dog recently i've been hearing this woodlark in the field behind us i'm thinking oh, i haven't seen it yet but i can i can hear it it's cool anyway i woke i was in the, i was in the bathroom one morning and all of a sudden i could hear this woodlark really close so I said to Jennifer, I said, I said, look, the, I, the woodlark must be in the garden. I can hear it through the open window. And, and she started laughing and laughing. And I said, what? She said, I changed the alarm call, yeah. woodlark. Well, <laughs> it was coming you out were, of the you were alert. Alarm. You knew, you know, you, yeah. That's I said, funny. I said, well, I could hear this bloody woodlark. And I said, I know there's one in the field. I thought it was, in, I said, I thought I was going to add it to my garden list, which would have been pretty <laughs> I'll tell you, Rob, that's one thing I miss this time of year, too, because, you know, it's it's colder, longer nights, and, you know, you just don't have as much bird song. The one the one saving grace where I'm at, we have owls calling now. So we have great horn owls, we have screech owls, and I can hear them. Past couple nights, too, where it's been clear, you know, uh, you could see the moon set on the bay, and it's just, you have this moon glow, and you listen to the owls. It's actually really pretty. It's relaxing, but um it, again it, it's all about getting clearer nights for that stuff and I, I don't know what it is why why owls call more on certain nights but i've noticed clearer nights calmer nights especially around this time like the great horns call almost all night i was going to uh, say exactly the same thing because we, we have tawnies that we have a really good population of tawnies where i live so you know you hear them all the time at night and in fact they set sky off barking all the time mm -hmm. <laughs> um it, it just must be their pitch of their call must really set her off and uh yeah if i have the i like the window open at night even it doesn't matter how cold it gets I, I like that fresh air coming in and and they you can i mean i've seen them fly over the garden quite often if we've been sat outside mm -hmm. um so they come in really close and i'm sure they've been sat in the trees and you know on the on the on the fence boundary uh you know of the house or on, on the roof and that sort of thing so so yeah i i, I like the particularly November, actually, and I can walk around the local woods sometimes if I take Sky out after it gets dark and I go out with a head torch. Quite often I will come across them um, just uh, recently perched above the footpath, mm. uh, so just above my head as I'm walking along because I think what they're doing is they use the path, they, they hunt, you know, the small um, mammals on the path. But, yeah, it makes sense. It's a sort of clear area. And I've yeah. had them literally swoop low over my head, about two or three feet above my head, as I've been wow. walking on the path at times. So that's that's wild. Cool. That's wild. Yeah. The, the craziest thing I had recently, and I thought they were bats, because normally, you know, the bats come in. Um, this was – when did I, I – I closed the pool down. This was a couple of months ago. I think it was in September, early September. And I was in the pool at night, and I was swimming around. And sometimes, you know, the bats will come down, they'll eat the insects. But 
uh, it was, uh, I, there was still twilight left. Um, I had a bunch of nighthawks come down and they were migrating through and they were just flying all, it was, it was incredible, you know, and that's one of those things. I, of course I got out of the pool. I ran and grabbed my camera and they were gone, but, um, of uh, course. Yeah, but it was wild. I'm like, that's a big bat. <laughs> and I turned yeah. Have you ever tried off. have you ever tried photographing them at night in flight? Uh no. Nighthawks or bats, you mean? No, nighthawks. No, never. I'd like to do that. Um, you just need to get the setup ready and you know, have a I guess maybe a certain area. I, I don't it was interesting because I don't whenever I've seen them migrate, they'll eat bugs in the air and like keep flying around and they kind of fly like a moth or erratic. Uh but I've never seen them get, you know, drinking the water. Like bats will come down and they'll skid, you know. So it's probably hard to predict where they're going to be in terms of, you know, setups and stuff like that. Yeah, because I've done night jars, which are obviously very, very similar. Um, but they tend to be during the, the breeding season, so sort of May, June time. And the males in particular will come out and they'll check you out. If wow. you, you know, they, they particularly if I, I think they were – if I remember rightly, there was a back in the day, uh, the way to uh, attract a night jar was to get two handkerchiefs and sort of wave them in the air, air because they mm. uh, resemble the white spots on the male's wings. So they thought it was a rival and they come in and they fly around you. But oh, wow. I find they're, they're quite inquisitive anyway. So if you come into their territory, as it were, even, you know, you sort of walk along a footpath that might be part of their territory, they will often come and check you out and fly around you. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I have, I have actually photographed them, uh, using very low powered flash in flight It's very, very hit and miss. And you need, I think you need something like a sort of 300 millimeter 2.8 yeah. to do it. So you, rather than, you know, a lot of these zooms are not, you just, just don't have the light, you know, collecting capabilities to, to, to really, to really nail it. But yeah, it's it's it. That would be a fun thing to do again. I think we'll oh, try I and bet. try and do that. Yeah. In the UK, do they call night jars still? I I don't know if this was a a thing in North America, but some some of the old timers they call them goat suckers. Have you ever heard that term used for? Never night heard that term. No. Yeah, it was a term used over here, and I think it came out of like colonial times. There was some sort of you know misconception that they fed on livestock at night uh, or something to that effect i'll have to look that up but yeah they call them goat suckers i was like okay well, oh, there's loads of folklore surrounding how could a, night, how could a yeah. night hawk kill a goat or <laughs> or you know I, I don't know but but it's funny isn't it there's lo loads more folklore about nocturnal birds and animals than there is a, i guess there's a, there's a mystery to it yeah um, them that uh, you know that, that, that inspires that sort of thing but no it's 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 really interesting but anyway what a great what a, we digress I look that up in, as as we always do, but <laughs> I tell you that's something we ought to we ought to do a podcast on. Actually, it's maybe nocturnal uh, birds. You know how to, how to yeah. photograph them. Or, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, sort of talking about owls and uh, night jars and night hawks and that sort of thing. So yeah, we'll, we'll uh, they're amazing we'll, birds. We'll line too. that one up. Yeah, I must actually. I've been meaning to do this. Start a Google sheet or something we can both add to when we get ideas like this. So we get a list of things to do, but anyway. Um, so the subject today, uh, as I alluded to at the uh, the beginning of the podcast, is uh, the art of cropping. And uh, it sort of struck me the other day when I, I was, I've been doing a lot of woodland photography uh, of late. It's just something, it's just bug that I seem to have caught. 
and uh, have been really enjoying the sort of slower pace of it and the, and the more considered approach i think um and of course i've been away uh, recently to wales and i was saying to josh before we you know before we started recording that um i spent a day in the most amazing celtic rainforest so temperate rainforest um you know on the you know on the, on the west side of the uk in wales uh and you know britain isn't the isn't it's quite denuded in terms of you know it's it's wildlife and its habitat um because it's it's so densely populated but there are little pockets still left and when you find them they're just they're just magical and i found this uh, particular location just so inspiring you know you walk in to an area of ancient woodland uh which is a very specific habitat you know these trees covered in mosses and lichens you know the likes of which you don't find in many other places of the uk so a very very special place i found it very inspiring and spent a whole day you know photographing uh well just enjoying it basically but but taking the odd the odd picture um you know when i found a composition that that seemed to work but what struck me was the uh consideration when i was taking the image in my mind i had i had the crop already in my mind when i was taking the photograph and then realizing how much the shape of the crop affects the um the perception of the image and what what it actually portrays and i thought well what a great subject because it's not only the feeling that you're trying to get across in an image that dictates the crop but there are lots of other things that we can talk about as well i mean i, I made some notes here um which is unusual actually for these podcasts because they're normally pretty organic and we just rabbit on about this, that, and the other. But I actually prepared for this one. <laughs> uh, but you can use cropping in a number of ways and for a number of things. And so I thought we'd, we'd have a bit of a deeper dive into that. So why don't we start with uh, using cropping um, in terms of a choosing the aspect ratio to change the mood and feel of an image because this is something i actually don't think uh some photographers think enough about you know they pay attention to a lot of the other aspects of the image but when it comes to cropping and we, we you know i've seen this in wild art photographer of the year quite a lot when we're judging images and you're looking at something and, and you're going that's a fantastic picture but why why the why has it been cropped like that if the crop had been adjusted, it makes it so much better. Uh, so there's a almost a lack of thought gone into that aspect of photography, and I I think it's very under underrated is the wrong expression. But I, I completely agree with you, Rob. This this is it's an art form, and people just you know take it so lightly, and you know it can make or break your image. In many ways, it's composition, right? I mean, cropping is composition when you think of it. Yeah, it is. And, and that's one of the one, the notes that I've got, actually, is, is cropping for composition. But I'd like to I'd actually like to start with with discussing ratios and how the ratio can change the mood and message of an image. And I'll give you an example. So as I was taking these images in this uh, fantastic rainforest that I was just telling you about, the first picture I took it was it was very chaotic you know what woodland's like it's it's very it's, it's it is pretty chaotic but i had this mixture of uh autumn color which was setting in against a lot of sort of gray 
bark and a lot of cool tones. So I had this lovely mix of cool and warm tones. Uh, and I had, I was taking the image against, the background was the um, opposite side of the valley. So again, in shade. So lots of cool tones, no sky. And it was, you know, I said it was quite chaotic, but it was all a mixture of trees. And I was trying to, to get the feel of the, the denseness of the place. So it was almost cinematic from my perspective. I, I just felt that it, it needed a dramatic crop. So going that sort of 16-9, that, that cinematic feel, just suited that, that image so well. Uh, it's, I mean, obviously, with a podcast, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's, you're listening, you're not, it's not a visual thing. So I can't show you the picture, but um, go to my Instagram feed and you'll, you'll, you'll see it. But to me, the crop was as important as every other element of that picture to make it work. So there's an example, um, you know, of using a crop to enhance the message that you're trying to portray with the image that you take. Uh, and similarly, you know, if you're if you're looking at square crops, which I don't do very much, but you know, the, the square crops can can give you a sense of balance and a, and a, a sense of I, I guess sort of peace. And and when you're looking at let's say a a standard four by three, for example, and you crop it, so let's say you're taking a water bird, and you've got a central water line and a reflection on the bird and everything else. You put that water line in a central position using the crop or using your, you know, you're framing it as you're shooting it, then you're portraying a sense of tranquility with that as well because there's balance. So it's all, using cropping in a, in a clever way like that, I think is, you know, is a really, is a really important part of photography. Yeah, I, I think of, to your point, Rob, with square crops, I think of them more as, you know, uh, portraying symmetry or closer to symmetry in terms of balance. And it's interesting, too. I mean, if if you're not shooting with a medium format or a large format camera, your images out of camera are going to be 3-2, right, or 2-3, depending upon whether you take horizontal or vertical images. But uh, And then you have a decision, you know, do you want to keep that ratio or do you want to change it? You know, it's interesting. For years, I... Um, I would always keep to, you know, three, two, two, three, three, four, four, three, maybe 69, as you were just talking for a more pano effect. And I did a lot of that too, when it, because of printing, right? Cause you're limited in terms of what you can print paper sizes and what looks good. And, but recently I've just been going free form, right? Where I'm not even using the set ratios. I'm just kind of cropping to where, um, I want it to, or, or I feel, you know, you just have that gut feeling where you say to yourself, okay, this works. 169 is an interesting ratio you were just talking about um i use it for some of my wildlife images um to give actually the opposite effect of something like wide pano cinema more to more for um it's almost like you're only seeing a certain part of the scene like you're in a hide like it's a sliver you know you're looking yeah. across and it's it adds a little bit of mystery because it, it gives the viewer the impression that they're just seeing a little bit, but it's what you want them to see, right? Um, versus, you know, the which you can obviously accomplish the opposite too. So it's um, it's an interesting thing. I to what we were saying before, you know, cropping is composition, and when it comes to wildlife, uh, well, nature photography in general, but when it comes to wildlife, we can we we can't have them pose, we can't set everything up. 
So there's always going to be for the most, I know for my images, 99.9% there's at minimum some sort of cropping, whether it's to level it, whether it's to get rid of certain things. I do some cloning in my images and post-processing, but I don't like to clone a lot. I like the authenticity of what's there. So working the edges is important as well when you're cropping. I try to, you know, if there's a, woodlands are a good example. I've done some woodland photography and you have to really, pay close attention to distractions all throughout the frame. You yeah. know, once you have your subject and you have the light, you really need to work the edges to figure out, you know, does this make sense? Right. And this goes beyond vignetting or anything. Just what do you want to include in the frame? And uh, it can be a challenge, but it's, it's, it's what separates, I think it's what separates a photo from an artistic photo or a welcome. Yeah. I, th I think, you know, if you're, if you're paying attention to the edges, I mean, if you're, if you're in a woodland and you're taking trees, I mean, they're not flying away <laughs> or running away. So it's, it's, it's a bit easier to take your time with it and, you know, pay attention to all the, all the edges and the corners and everything else and make sure that there's nothing which is, which is distracting. Uh, when you're taking birds, for example, and you're taking behavioral shots, they're doing something, they're flying away, they're fighting, they're feeding, whatever they're doing. And you're lying down, you know, in the mud and you're cold and you're wet and everything. It, it's, it's difficult to pay so much attention to, you know, the, the areas of the frame that don't include the subject because your concentration is on, on that, obviously. So, yeah, I use cropping in the same way that, that I will then use it as a compositional tool. Um, you know, instead of if I'm taking a woodland, my composition is already set, you know, and, and I, and I compose, you know, uh, in, in camera, if you like at, at the time. And I, I've already decided, you know, what I want to see, what ratio I want to see in the final image and i shoot accordingly with as i said with wildlife it's 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 different if it's moving around then i'm using the crop you know as a compositional tool as a tool to remove those uh distracting elements because i'm like you i will clone stuff out but i i like to tell it as it happened really and i you know i like that authentic feel and particularly if you're talking about competition photography um then you know you're not a going to be able to clone anything out anyway mm -hmm. so use use the crop at that point and the other the other way of using the crop with wildlife as well of course is that sort of magnification factor if you like yeah you know so with all the pixels that we've got you know at our disposal now you know we're not shooting 12 megapixels anymore we're shooting 45 or plus so you have that ability to crop in 50 percent plus if you want yeah. to and yeah. still have yeah. a very very usable image um you know and using a lens that you know, say a 500 mil lens without any converter or anything like that. So uh, that's another good use of, of of a crop. And I've seen some <laughs> some crops you would well cropzillas. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's one of the things that where it's technology dependent, right? I mean, if you have a a lot of resolution in an image, you can definitely go in closer. I've got so I shoot with the R3, which is 24 megapixel, and the R5, which is what is it, 45? Huge 45, difference there. Yeah. So if I'm shooting with the R3. I know my limitations in terms of <laughs> how much I can crop or can't crop. So obviously you want to be, if it's a wildlife shot and you want them to fill the frame to a certain extent, you, you, you need to be closer, you know, versus cropping 50, 60%, your, your image is going to suffer. Now, Instagram, it probably won't, but if you want to print that out on a 13 by 19 or something even larger than that, then yeah, it's not going to look too good.
Yeah, and that's something we don't do enough of, isn't it? Printing, I think. I love printing. It's um, the it, there's so much that I can't even express the level of satisfaction when you have an image that you love and you print it out and you're holding it in your hand. It's tactile versus you know looking at something on the screen. So I think it's way better than posting anything on 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 a website having to print. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the equivalent of have doing an ebook or doing a physical book, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, an, an ebook is, yes, you might as well look at a website, quite frankly. Whereas if you've got something tactile and physical in your hands, uh, and I think it, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's another dimension to, to a print as opposed to looking at stuff on the screen. I mean, you can see a lot more detail of, uh, on the screen, to be frank. You know, it can display a much wider, color gamut than printing can but there's something about a print i think there's this there's a rawness about a print there's it, yeah it's it's a whole different ball game yeah and if you want to print cropping is important because obviously um if you have a really you know unique <laughs> unique crop and it's it's not gonna it's not gonna work well with certain paper sizes right so you know most people print you know four by six five by seven eight by ten eight and a half by eleven you know letter and then you get 13 by 19, 17 by 20. You know, there's set sizes there. And if you have an image that doesn't really fit those sizes, um, it, it's going to be, you know, you, you can obviously print it, but then the framing is going to be custom. You're not going to be able to get, you know, a standard size frame, the matted. So it'll, it, it costs you a lot more money if you're more unique with your cropping well, composition. I, well, I, I tell you that, that when, when obviously I did the, the wild art book that the first year of the, of the competition that, I thought very hard about the aspect ratio of the book for that very reason, because, yeah. you know, there are so many different um, sized images. And in particular, I remember the experience with Bird Photographer of the Year. That book was um, a little, uh, you know, it wasn't as tall. Um, so it wasn't as square as the wild art book. So the limitations with the vertical images, um, they were quite restrictive. And I, and I felt that, you know, those images weren't given enough because of it, you know, because you had to restrict the size of them literally because of the ratio of the book. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is, it is a real consideration when you're coming to, to print something like that, where you've got a variety of different, you know, image ratios and, uh, you know, from horizontals and verticals to panoramics to all that sort of stuff, you know, to, to try and do everything justice. So yeah, there's, there's one image in that book. Actually, we've maybe I maybe I've mentioned it before. I can't remember, but uh, we were talking about square crops. It's a relatively square crop. It's a spider web, but I think yeah. it's Rachel Piper. Rachel and Piper, it yeah, looks amazing in print. And you know what? Anyhow, if anyone has the book, um, please go and look at that particular picture because that's I think that's a great usage of a square crop. And if, if anybody hasn't got the book, I'll yep. leave a link in the description. <laughs> go and buy one because there are a few still available. So yeah, but it's a is amazing. It, well, a it's an amazing book, but that particular picture, yeah, it works so well uh, in the book in a square format. But it is the ratio that was chosen based on you know past experience that enabled justice to be done to images like that, as well as the sort of more traditional four by threes and whatever. So yeah, it's uh, it's an important important part. What else do you use um, cropping for? Josh, do you, do you pay a lot of attention to the sort of mood that it will, you know, it will, it will generate in your, in your final image? Absolutely. Uh, mood is important. Um, environment 
is something that's always predominant. I like to shoot images with space, you know, to have, you know, to, sh to tell the story, the animal, the environment. Um, just recently I was kayaking through not far from here, actually, it's one of the northernmost uh, cypress swamps in the United States. So it's up here in the Northeast. It's where you're in Louisiana, Rob, right? I mean, it's all bald cypress. It was beautiful. And I, I had a 24 to 105 with me. That's all I had. And the wildlife there is pretty calm. So I was able to kayak right up to a great blue heron, bald cypress, great color. Um, I shot it at 24 millimeter, which, you know, you got to be wow. pretty close to shoot it at 24. And this <laughs> yeah, isn't camera trap or anything, you know, this is so, um, yeah, it's all about, you know, compo composing camera, try to get everything set in terms of where I want the bird. And then there's the question, you know, because you're on the water, you have reflections. Do you go 50, 50, meaning, you know, you put the horizon dead set in the middle of the frame and reflections are below everything else's. Or do you go three quarters of the way because there's better color in the, you know, so you have to make all these decisions. The easy answer is take multiple shots if your subject is standing still and yeah. then you can decide later. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's really important um, when you're composing to incorporate environment to consider the crop. Cropping is a lot easier if you have a bird in flight against the blue sky or you have an animal you know, and everything else is pretty minimalistic around it. It's just a matter of where do you want to put the animal in the frame? I always say that when, and I, and I'm sorry to say this, and it's all you bird photographers out there, animal and nature photographers, but landscape photographers, in my opinion, have a much better grasp on composition because there's more, much, there's many more elements in the frame. There's a lot more complexity. There's, um, there's just a lot more detail and content in the frame than a typical wildlife shot. Wildlife uh, photographers are good at composition, but I think there's a lot to be learned from landscape photographers because uh many times it's a rule of thirds get the bird in there put it on the lower left lower right or whatever and boom that's it uh, but there's much more to that in my opinion when it comes to coming up with a complex image that yeah. has more in it than just you know an illustrative shot of a bird i i absolutely agree and i think we've, we've touched on this before haven't we when you're taking close-up images of birds composition isn't necessarily the most important element because it almost takes care of itself because you're taking a picture, a close-up picture of a, of a bird, when you're zooming out and you're including more environment, a bit more space, then it becomes a lot, lot more important. Um, so when you're, you, you already, do you already have the, the sort of aspect ratio in mind when you're framing something up and shooting it? Or do you, do you sometimes make choices afterwards? Uh, I, I mostly make choices afterwards for the most part. The biggest decision you have to make in the field is whether you want to go horizontal or vertical. That I think is a decision you want to make in the field because if you shoot something horizontally and you decide that it look, it, it will look better vertical later, you're cropping a lot out in post-process, right? So, yeah. or you're changing a lot and whatnot. So I think the decision between horizontal, horizontal and vertical is the most important compose as best you can. And then, um, you know, kind of go for it later and, and put the finishing touches in post. If it's just an animal that shows up to your surprise and it's like, oh, there's a, you know, bald eagle flying down, you know, you shoot the images and that's it. You, know, you can, you know, it's, it's pretty easy. But I think when you're, when you're trying to come up with an image um, that's well thought out and you have time to take that image, I think you want to, you, you need to solve horizontal or horizontals. I'm horizontal. I like that horizontal. 
that that takes care of both. <laughs> it's right? a new word. So, <laughs> yeah. so you want to solve that horizontal ver versus vertical in the field, and then you know figure it out from there. I will say though, if you're really close to an animal, it's not like putting like puffins, for instance. I was we were in Shetland, Kerm and I, and we were so close, we were doing details where we were just getting the bill structure of the eye. That's a whole different thing because you. Do you really know? And I, I think I that, think that is is such a difficult it is thing to get right when you're right in close like that that is when the crop is critical absolutely Depth critical. even you know because yeah. you're so close yeah. um so when we were uh when they um tuck in in the back you know when it's cold and they'll tuck in that's when you want to get some of those tight shots the feather detail that i think is really important when you're shooting that image and figuring out what your crop and your composition is going to be less important if you're 25 feet away and you're just you know picturing the bird on the rock you know the puffin on it then it's 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 pretty straightforward so i think it's when you're furthest away and when you're closest is when um in frame composition and thinking of the crop matters most. Yeah, no, that's 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 a um, really interesting, and I th I think it's uh, you know that that's yeah that's inspired actually when you when you actually think about it. I mean, I've been doing a lot of um, obviously I see a lot of pictures through Wild Art. You know, you guys do the the judging, but you know I like to have a good look through what comes in, and you know I'm already picking out my favorites anyway, and generally. You know, they're the ones that end up on the, on the short list, you know, that, that you guys pick out. Mm -hmm. But I've been doing, you know, judging for other people as well, um, but in particular Photo Crowd um, just recently, which I know you do as well, Josh. Oh, yeah, don't absolutely. You? yeah. And um, I was doing a um, I was doing a competition uh, over the last couple of weeks. It was about best part of 5000 pictures in that in that particular one and it was it was colorful wildlife or something like that and and it would you know doing the judging process of that was quite an inspiration for doing this podcast as well because you know i was looking very very closely at, at how the photographer's choice of crop affected the effectiveness of those of those images and i can remember one particular I mean, Okay, so you're dealing with colourful wildlife. So there are certain species that are going to come up again and again and again. And, you know, you're going to guess what they are. You know, it's going to be kingfishers, it's red cardinals, you know, it's, it's you know, parakeets. It's all this sort of stuff. The colour, you know, the, the things that you would imagine would come up in a competition titled Colourful Wildlife. But there was one picture of a red cardinal, which, again, was a square crop which is unusual when with wildlife, to be honest, people picking square crops. It's not the most popular ratio, crop ratio, but it was in the snow and it was just the head detail, but, but its crest was up, its head was at a jaunty angle. There was a nice angle um, of, of snow in front of it. So all the diagonals kind of lined up to, to really make it work well. And it had this little, these little flakes of snow on its beak. And it was such, such a simple shot of a very common subject in that competition but i you know that to me really really stood out because of the crop and the and the overall composition of the image which i think most people would have wanted to straighten it up mm. but putting it at a jaunty angle you know so it had its head its crest you know pointing into the corner of, of one of you know one of the corners of the image good, then yeah, you had this di diagonal you had this diagonal line of snow in the kind of opposite direction then it do you know it, it energized that picture uh, and it, had you you know had the photographer straightened it up it, it would just not have had the same effect at all so the it, crop was critical there 
Yeah. And, and it's interesting when you say it energized it, cause I totally agree. I'm kind of picturing it now. And I look for when I judge those contests, I look for lines, patterns, or certain things. And it's amazing how our brains are. I mean, at a certain, it, it, to a certain extent, it's kind of, you know, pre-programmed in our brainstem, you know, and how we've evolved to look for certain things. Right. And it just, it triggers things. Most people who look at it, you know, the layman, they wouldn't even know, but they would be like, oh yeah, I like that image better. It's in the subconscious. Right. So it's, it's trying to figure out those things as a photographer, um, what's going to stand out and what's going to appeal guiding people through an image or making people yeah. pick that up. That's more do of a scientific you, thing, but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting if you think about it, it's pretty, do deep. you think, do you think you can, um, you can actually teach composition or do you think that there are people that just naturally, uh, are, are just naturally good at it? Who just, I just think, see things straight away. Uh, that's a great question. I think the answer is both, but I think for folks who just don't have it, they don't have that natural eye. If there's such a term, uh, it's harder to teach them composition. You'll see plenty of incredible photographers um, who are also great at design, right? So, and, and all of these things kind of bleed through each other. You know, it's like they're great photographers. Um, their homes look great. Their interior design taste is great. They understand color you know, what, what complements. And then, and that's even helped me, frankly, when it comes to doing projects around the house and setting things up. And, you know, if you're good at composing a wildlife image, you're probably pretty good at composing where your couch should go in your living. Right. So there's all these different things. So I think a, a lot of people just, I know it's, it maybe it's controversial to say this. They just have a better eye. They have that sense of t taste maybe is, is the right word to use. And, they're more attuned to picking things up and, um, and really excelling versus other folks who maybe don't have, maybe they have a more mathematical mind or they're an accountant or something like this. And it's, yeah. it's harder for them. Um, I guess it's, you know, right brain, left brain type thing, but yeah, I, I guess it comes down to having a, you know, an artistic bent or not really. Yeah. Because if, if you, I mean, I've always just been able to see things, mm -hmm. uh, and naturally, and I, I never, I never, um, when, during my, I mean, it, Photography is a journey, right? You know, you never stop learning. It's like anything in life. I think, you know, if somebody says, oh, I know everything I need to know about that, uh, yeah, that's the wrong yeah, attitude. Yeah, you know? right. you, yeah. We're all lifelong students, right? I mean, yeah, and, and and this is why I love competition so much because I'm always seeing new ideas and approaches and things that I think, oh, man. I, I mean, I've said it on the, on the live that we did over the weekend for abstracts. It's like I never would have thought of taking that picture, never in a million years. So you've opened my eyes to that. Thank you for that. That's that's yeah. that's a, it's a real privilege to be able to do that. But I've I've always been able to just I just pick things out and and see stuff. And I know people see things in different ways. And photography is a subjective art form, like all forms of art. You know, you'll you'll get things that you know I love and somebody else will hate. I mean, it's just the way it is. Uh, mm -hmm. but I take, you know, I take photography for me. I don't do it for anybody else. I take it for me, but I've always, I've always been able to balance things. I've always had that natural ability just to, just to compose a scene without even really thinking about it too much. Seeing things. I mean, I I don't know whether you do this, but I'll drive along or I'll walk along somewhere and I'm always seeing, uh, Put, you know photographs in my mind's eye oh, as i'm walking yeah, past something i'm going <laughs> yeah. it, it must annoy yeah. the hell out of jennifer because <laughs> <almost like, laughs> 
Yeah, all the time. I mean, and it's that's the beauty of it, right? You're trying to create some sort of order out of chaos, or you just embrace the chaos, right? And you just, you know, it's just, it's kind of how you want to express yourself. And um, yeah. some people, like you say, I think are more they they can express better artistically than others. You know, it's just yeah. you know. I mean, and I don't go around. I don't go don't go around doing that stupid thing with your fingers where you you know when oh. you put your fingers together and you make a frame and yeah. you look through. It. I don't go do that, but I. I even look at, I even do consider the, the sort of crop, not with wildlife necessarily, um, unless I've got a bird that's sat somewhere and it's, and you can see the scene, you go, oh, that would look great in that sort of format. But I even, you know, if I'm doing woodland or whatever, I've always got the crop in my head. Yeah. Always, you know, I see the crop as well. It's as, important there because I think if you, if you're off a little bit and you don't, you don't compose it correctly in camera or you're not considering the crop in a woodland, that's a big deal. If you're on a beach photographing a shorebird, not a big deal. Right. So uh, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's, it's dependent on your environment and how much content is in your, is in your image. Yeah. So the, is there any other way that you would use cropping, um, you know, in your, in your photography? I mean, and we talked about, you know, perhaps removing distracting elements. We've talked about, supersizing things if you like zooming in uh on the crop and obviously you know with the modern technology uh you know that's given us so many more um you know so, so much more scope for doing that you know we've we've talked about giving it a mood mm -hmm. uh, and giving it and of course you know and and we've talked about i, I guess sort of correcting things that particularly right okay this is the one thing that yeah pet peeve annoys I know the <laughs> hell out of me right <laughs> noise that you know you just okay so you see a fantastic picture the lighting's great they've got the focus bang on the mood's brilliant this that and the other and then you look at the horizon or you look at the waterline or whatever and it's pissed yeah it's <laughs> uh, too many language. gin and tonics with that horizon <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and you just think do, do you not see that do you not see that do you not pay attention to that and it's just a small crop is all you need just to straighten yeah. that that up and pay attention to the detail. I saw an image recently, Robin. It, it, it killed me because it was an incredible image, just as you say. And it was a reflection image where you had an animal feeding, you know, it was an African image, actually. And it was, um, you had this mammal drinking water. And it was one of those deals where it was an, a, a near perfect reflection and it was flipped, right? You've seen that before with yeah, reflections yeah, yeah. on top. And so the, they went out of their way to do that. It's a great image, but yet the horizon was crooked. I'm thinking, oh my God, you know. <laughs> That's you were, the whole you know, essence of the picture. Yeah, you, you just screwed up. It. But at the same time, you didn't, you know, so it's, uh, I, I agree to pet peeve of mine. It's, it's so important. Yeah especially when that, you have water and you have a very clear delineated horizon, you got to get it right. That's something that's actually, we haven't talked about with cropping, I, I guess is flipping images as well, because I've seen that a lot and it does, you know, it, particularly with reflections, of course, people are turning them upside down and try and screw with your mind. Um, I've <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's seen it quite a lot. Or the other one is just taking a picture of a reflection and you don't, you don't actually, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, pick the you don't actually show the the thing that's reflected and then you flip it around and turn it upside down and I, I like yeah, really messing you get brain. the reflection and it's a horizontal shot and they flip it vertical to make it more abstract right and it creates yeah. a shape or something to that effect we yeah. we had an image recently on that in wild art it was a an american no it wasn't american bitter it was i think a eurasian bitter whatever oh, the bitterness yeah, i remember yeah 
yeah. and it created like almost a face, like a woman's face yeah. with it. I mean, it was amazing. Think about, you know, cropping and artistry. That shot was amazing. Yeah. I no, I think I it, it, it's, year, but. it's really thinking outside the box sometimes, isn't it? I, I love photography when it messes with your brain. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you, you know, you know, you know what the subject is, but it's, you're thinking something's wrong there and it takes you a while to work out <laughs> what it is and what exactly is going on and why that it's been, it's been uh, portrayed like that. It's been, it's been processed like that. Uh, and then you realize and you go, ah, yeah. You know, and, and when you and when you think of cropping too, when it comes to creating a unique image, you know, I myself draw the line between images I can take in the field that can result in a print, something that will, anybody would be like, oh, I'd love to have this on my wall, versus just another image. I was recently at a uh, wildlife festival not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and they had a photographer. I, I didn't have a stand set up, but I wanted to check it out because it was wildlife photography and. Um, there were so many images where it was just, you know, uh, a wood duck floating or a bright bird and, and they have the metal, um, the metal prints and, you know, it's really glossy and shiny. And I'm thinking, again, this is just my taste. I'm like, I'd never put that on my wall, you know, or maybe. In a yeah. Dance, well, it's, a do, do you think that that's a, that's a case of using a medium to try and elevate a ordinary photograph? Could be, it yeah. could be. And, uh, some of those metallic prints are great. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that I think people will want on their wall, unless they're a specific type of, you know, bird nerd and they, you know, they, they want to get a couple things up on the wall, but there's no artistic quality to it. In my opinion, you know, it's uh, a good image in my opinion. And again, this is just my opinion. If you're a wildlife photographer and someone who doesn't even care for wildlife looks at an image and they say, I want that on my wall, that that's a really good discriminator that you've got. I think, uh, yeah pretty special image i, th no I think one wants images, a bird on a stick singing on their wall they just yeah. don't I, I always i always think about photography is is you're looking to elicit a response from the viewer mm. uh, whatever that response might be and uh, you know i guess cropping and composition can be used to change that response you know to manipulate the response that you want from the viewer and I, I, I well, it's a whole subject in itself. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of a high for the photographer too. I, I can say this personally. When I was given that talk at the in my town, you know, you you'd go through the projector and you'd bring a picture up and you'd hear, oh, you know, you'd hear people express or say things, and you know, it gives you an indication that oh, wow, okay, this is this image, you know, is is a hit or this image is you know more special or whatever. But you can just gauge by the reaction of the audience. Yeah whether it's yeah, got yeah. something a comedic value or just an impact and um, yeah ex exactly you know you you it's almost like a comedian isn't it when they when they when they wait for the they always say the best jokes are the ones where you get this slight pause this yeah. intake of breath and then people laugh the punchline <laughs> yeah because it's you know you've shocked and then they get the humor of it and it, you know so that's the more complicated humor and i and I guess photography in a, in a, well, that's a form of art, isn't it? I mean, comedy is an art form. Yeah. Um, photography is an art form. And, and I do like that response, as you're saying, from the audience and some of the talks I've, I've given in the past where, you know, you will get that um, from people. And, uh, and, and you can almost tell the images that are going to have a response. because And it depends on your audience as well. I mean, if you've got an audience of, say, say you're going to a camera club and, you know, the audience, they, they know about photography. And they, they, 
seen a lot of wildlife photography and they're not really into the cutesy type stuff that will elicit that sort of ah oh, from a, you, from <laughs> joe public as it as it were you know your non-photography yeah. public um but they won't look at it in the same way you know they'll, they'll be looking at um the skill involved in actually taking the image or they'll be i think if you're showing people subjects that they've got on their own doorstep as well i think that is quite important i mean if they've got a connection with it do you know what i mean yeah. if you're showing if i'm showing somebody not that i've been to africa but you know if i was showing somebody african wildlife although there is a connection i guess with it's a familiar familiarity rather than a connection um you know with african wildlife but they would they, they don't have the same connection with it because they don't know and, enough and they've about seen it, it before on tv they're like oh yeah david attenborough showed me that the other day mm -hmm. right or what yeah. there there's there's probably a a greater sense of connection initially with that stuff than they would, you know, cause they're not seeing photos of foxes or snapping turtles in their backyard. They're seeing a lion on TV. Yeah, exactly. That's about the <laughs> place though. They'll see it generally <laughs> or in, or in a book somewhere, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but anyway, so yeah, cropping, I, I just think that, you know, to sort of wrap it up is I just think that it's, it's, probably one of those areas that that people don't pay enough attention to and i think that if you're listening to this and you you know just go back through some of your images and just play around with different crops and see how it actually changes or can change in certain circumstances the whole feel and dynamic of the of, of the image just just really give it give it some thought um because as i said that's something that you know, when I've been through a lot of the, the competition images, I just pick up on and think, oh, that would have been so good had it been cropped in this way. Or I want that slightly tighter, tighter. I want that slightly wider. I want less space at the top or the bottom or the sides. I want a different aspect ratio to really emphasize certain parts of this photograph. And I think it's it's such an important element. So, yeah, go go back and have a look through some of your stuff and and just you start getting a feel for it and and seeing how things there's those sort of crop ratios and whatever can make such a such a big difference such a big difference absolutely yeah so what's um what's next uh for you josh what, i guess well, thanksgiving isn't it this week yeah lo lo lots of turkey um not the uh <laughs> yeah it's not a good time of year for turkeys yeah it? definitely not a good time of year for turkeys um yeah you know just more waterfowl you know the tundra swans are you know it's interesting i i thought of you this morning rob I, for the first time out back i saw mute swan uh mixed in with wow. the tundra swans i think of the uk every time i see mute yeah. swans we we would ha we have them here and there on the eastern shore but uh yeah, I thought I was like, okay. so I added a yard bird. So I've got a mute one. <laughs> um, yeah, just more, I would say more waterfowl photography. Things are starting to heat up now. Um, owls, um, no immediate plans in terms of travel. I've been so busy with just local projects around the house and getting things set up. I frankly been just having a lot of enjoyment shooting around in the yard and, you know, whatnot. So mo most of my focus has been very, very local, uh, but no big plans yet. I want to, Definitely get some trips squared away here for next year, but nothing, nothing other than that. Just getting ready for the holidays and doing some shooting. And uh, how are you getting on with Shetland? Culling your images from Shetland. <laughs> I, I, I've, I processed one image from Shetland, I, and I've seen it. <laughs> yes, was yeah. that the one? That was that the one you're shortlisted in? Um, yeah, in, close up uh, photographer, close of the up year. photographer of the year. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, 
that that's the only image I processed actually. And that one obviously stuck out when I was, when I did the first call of the underwater stuff we did on the, on the NOS boat, uh, because of, you know, obviously we're talking about symmetry and that's a bit of a unique crop. I think that's a 16, nine or that's more of a panoramic. Yes. Yes. Uh, cinera- but, cinematic uh, type crop. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I still have one more hard drive to go and I'm, I think I'm about 75% of the way through my culling on that. And then I'll, I'll start getting start things out here. A few more. But, <clears throat> excuse me, frog in my throat. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to seeing some more come through on your Instagram feed. Likewise, see what you've been, been up, yeah, up to. Um, <clears throat> what have I been up to? So, yeah, as I said, I had a week away in Wales, which is which is great. Still got a few images um, to process from that, but they're more they're more kind of landscape type things rather than wildlife. I didn't really get the time to to devote to, to, to birds or anything in that, on that trip. But it, I was just so fascinated by, you know, by that Celtic rainforest that, mm. yeah, I, I, that, that was a wonderful day. Um, I guess a bit like you, you know, we've got the, the, the waterfowl coming in now. So, you know, the local lakes are going to get some attention. If we get some nice sort of frosty mornings, a bit of mist and a bit of atmosphere, that would be great. I mean, what I, one of the things I really want, to get because you know kind of you're talking about mute swans i've kind of done a lot of mute swan stuff i've got some really nice you know i've got some really nice uh, mute swan images um, you know can you improve on them are you doing the same old stuff again and again and again and I, I like to kind of do new things but one of those one of those images i've got in my mind um and i have had for the last two or three years and not managed to get yet is the fighting coots or moorhens. I don't don't mind which they are, you know, which which it is, but I want it backlit with mist early in the morning. You've and, been talking about this shot yeah, for a while. Oh, You're gonna man, get it. It's so <laughs> difficult. Um, so I want to get, you know, I'll, I'll try and concentrate on that this year. I think, you know, as far as that's concerned, because you know, how many more images of ducks and things can I can I? T- I mean, I, you know, there's always a new way to photograph them, I guess. But um, so that's something that I that I want. So a bit more action and behaviour, I think, in 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 those waterfowl images is is going to be my approach. Um, then we're off to Yorkshire uh, over Christmas. So again, that you know, I'm hoping there'll be some nice sort of winter, you know, some winter trees and things to to be doing there. Uh, and you never know, there might be opportunity for dippers and that sort of thing in in those locations um so you know that'll be good then in january we're off to south wales again nice. uh, and we're staying in the same place we stayed at over christmas last year which is literally right on the beach so it's the place where i had the windows open and i was here in curlew and oyster catcher and turnstone uh in, you know as i'm waking up in the morning so literally i can just roll out of bed pull my waders on and just sit in the sit in the water and just photograph them as the you know against the rising sun well <laughs> assuming it's not cloudy of course which <laughs> every possibility it will be in january but so yeah there, there's that coming up and i love south wales as well it's just a totally amazing place um so there'll be all sorts of yeah that i guess that'll be a bit of a i mean all these things are holidays but they'll you know that'll be more of a bird trip i guess than than anything else um yeah oh and then yeah we're planning in june to go to the Camargue in France. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that'll be amazing. Well, Georgina, when I met Georgina in, in the airport, you know, the week before I met you, actually, you and Curran as you came through um, from Shetland, uh, she was talking, she'd just been to the South, and she was talking about the flamingos, and, and, and honestly, it whetted my appetite, and I thought, oh, we've wow. got to go. Because 
uh, Jennifer loves the south of France. She spent some time there as, you know, um, when she, you know, after, you know, she was, you know, uh, during her student years, she spent some time there, work experience. So she wants to go back. Um, and that's not far away. So, yeah, we've got a, we've got a, probably a couple of weeks traveling through France and end up in, in the Camargue for a week or so. Oh, that'll be amazing. Um, so that'll be, that'll be. Although I hear it's, um, while well, you'll get incredible images, it's an interesting thing. They basically, from what I'm told, they have like uh, somebody who gets, <laughs> they kind of corral the horses in the water and somebody rounds them up and then they kind of chase them out. They're, they're kind of like a cowboy type shows up and wrangle. All right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of manipulation going on there. A little, a little bit, yeah, yeah, from what I hear. So um, while the images will be incredible, I think it'll be a little bit more of an orchestration, but why not? Yeah, yeah, well, well, we'll, shots. yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. So, yeah, so it's planning, planning for those. So, and, um, you know, probably some birds in the garden as well over the winter. I've been, uh, been sorting the garden out and sorting, you know, my, my sort of bird table out and positioning it over the weekend, over the weekend, just gone, you know, for, for that sort of thing um, over the next couple of months, because the light will be pretty good. I mean, my garden's quite difficult. It's not particularly big. And it's south facing, which so it doesn't give me. Um, we've got a, we've got a ridge to the east, so we don't get the sun till later on in the morning because of it. So it's a little bit tricky, um, but I, it's only in the winter really it works well. So because the sun's at the right angle, so there's, you know, there's a couple of months there of that sort of thing. Um, I said on Friday I'm going to meet Victoria, and we're going to do a bit of maybe late fungi stuff if there's some still around because it's still been very mild or just sort of abstract autumn leaves that sort of thing you know so spend That'll a day out with her tell her i said hi when you see her <laughs> I, I will do yeah i will do she's uh she's you know, she's doing she's doing well it's good to see her sort of back out with the camera actually good and and sort of producing some work so uh yeah uh so that that's basically me um and, and, and my plans um and obviously we've we've got wild art to wrap up for this year as well seeing as that the competition is now uh, closed and so we've got a couple of categories still to finish up judging um and then the overall thing which will will announce at the beginning of 2024 so in, in january i guess um you know and then sort of plans for the for the following year so it's, it's a bit full on um and as we were discussing off you know, before we started recording, you know, got plans to sort of for the YouTube channel as well next year, um, you know, a wild vision. So we, you know, obviously we've been talking about that, um, you know, and try and, uh, yeah, try and try and grow that a little bit and, um, you know, put some decent content uh, on there. I've got, talking about Shetland, I've got a film that's half done <laughs> on, on Shetland, which I did with, literally with just my mobile phone because I, I, I couldn't. Although I had my, you know, I've got a, a little Sony camera, which actually I use um, when we're doing the live presentations to stream the um, mm. picture feed. Uh, but it's it's really handy for, for doing those videos. It's quite good quality. Uh, it's quite a good sort of vlogging camera. But I, I it's so difficult. Well, you know what it's like in Shetland when you're on the boat and everything's oh, going yeah. nuts. It's, so I just I literally just use my my phone to film things, um, and actually it's come out all right. I just need to, I just need to write, um, you know, some and narrate it. Uh, everything else is together, so so that's coming up. I'll get that out in the next Very cool. week or so. So yeah, I'll uh, yeah you'll you'll see that when it it crops up, but uh, and you'll recognise some places there. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm bring sure. back some memories for you. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah. So next up, what are we what are we going to do? We've uh, we've been trying to get a few guests on. I keep saying this. It's been a bit difficult to try and uh, organize a time when we're all free. But uh, yeah, we've we've got three or four guests sort of lined up um, that we will uh, be recording with over the coming months. Uh, lots of other topics to talk about. And as ever, if uh, any of you out there want us to talk about anything in particular, got a subject in yeah, mind. Then, then, well, the best way to do it probably is to is to reach out to us on our Instagram um, accounts and just send us a send us a message, and uh, it's probably the easiest way of doing it because that's the, the thing that we'll, we'll pay the most attention to, I guess. So, mm -hmm. so do that. the The links to those are uh, will be in the show notes, um, but you'll find us. You know, if you you Google our names or if you put our names into Instagram, you'll, you'll find, you'll find the accounts. Um, so anyway, no, Josh, great discussion as always. Yeah, it's great. And thanks everybody for listening. Uh, I've really enjoyed the discussion. I hope you've uh, enjoyed our, our ramblings as usual. And um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see you all in the next one. Take care. Thanks, Rob. You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms, giving us a like, and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time.